Welcome to the All About Audiology podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Lilach Saperstein, and today I have with me Madeline Cheney from Utah, who is also the creator and host of the Rare Life podcast, which is a podcast for parents whose children have rare disorders. And we are very excited to have Madeline with us. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so happy to have you on the show because one of the things that we have not talked about yet so much is children who are deaf plus or have multiple things going on and challenges in different areas, medical concerns, social concerns, all these other things where hearing loss may or may not be at the top of the list of priorities for themselves and their families. So I think this is a very important population, very important topic, and I'm really excited to chat with you today. Thank you. I have a lot of passion about this topic. His hearing loss is a really big part of who he is in our life since he's been born. And so I'm really excited to talk about this. All right. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your inspiration. You're a little kiddo. (laughs) Yeah. So I have, I live with my husband and my four-year-old daughter. That's Kimball's big sister. And she is completely typical in every sense of the word. In fact, she was even advanced in her language skills. And then Kimball is our almost two-year-old, and he is our little special guy with a lot of different disabilities. And um, so we have been dealing with that since we're really, he was pre-diagnosed when I was pregnant with him. And so that really, when he was 20 weeks uh, gestation, that is when this roller coaster started. (laughs) And we've learned a lot since then. I feel like a whole different person now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such an important point to mention that it really changes everything. It doesn't mm-hmm. just affect the, the child and what their life is going to be like, but it changes the parent's life. And that um, obviously, even when you know about it in utero, then sometimes you have more time. Sometimes that's better. And sometimes that's more challenging. So what was that like for you guys right. when you had that time? So with his, because we knew pretty far in advance before he was born that he had this issue, his uh, specific condition, uh, it has a really long name that no one's heard of. So I'm not, I'm going to spare you, but it is a form of skeletal dysplasia, which basically means issue with his bone formation. So there are birth defects Mm -hmm. related to that. And so we were given warning about different things. Like he has an unstable cervical spine, which basically means the the vertebrae in his spine are not fully hardened. And so it doesn't protect his spinal cord from compression, which would lead to paralysis or death. Um, So like that was something we knew was on the table that's associated with it. Um, We also knew from ultrasound that he did not have a nose bone forming. And so he has a really narrow nasal airway. So we knew a few things like that. But there was very little known. Oh, and he also has dwarfism, which we were also able to, that was one of the red flags we saw is that his limbs were measuring shorter for his gestational age. But hearing loss is also associated with his syndrome, but we were not warned of that at all. We had no idea. And so because that was, that's such a huge part of who he is in our life with him, his hearing loss, like I, that's one of the forefront things of our, of our life. Like that's what we're dealing with all the time is helping him learn language and things like that. Um, I, it was a huge, we were very blindsided by that diagnosis, uh, a week after he was born. And so we were given a heads up that he would have a lot of birth defects and difficulties, but as far as his hearing loss, and then later we discovered his vision loss as well. He has that dual, uh, sensory loss that we were not prepared for the hearing loss thing. And so that was really, that added a lot of complication to the, the, process of grief that we went through, uh, learning that news. Yeah. And, um, the fact that you just mentioned the, the process of grief, I think that many people who go through this might not recognize that as like, that's what they're going through. Um, but naming it and, and accepting that that's kind of the process that's ahead, uh, can really be actually very helpful to some people to know, oh, this is very similar to other kinds of grief in life where it's like cycle and it's not just five stages in order it's more like a star i think because you like mm-hmm. ping pong from all the different yeah. <laughs> you go this you go that way you go <laughs> so yeah definitely it's interesting that you had you had some awareness of things that were to come and then actually there was this whole other thing that came up mm-hmm. wow so can i can i my audiologist brain is like what kind of hearing loss which part 
like the middle ear, like the cochlea bone, the bone, bones of the cochlea or like middle ear bones. Yeah. So he has a dual, dual loss with the conductive bones. Um, because that's, that's, that's why it's associated with his syndrome, because it's another deformity of bones that did not form correctly. And then he actually also has a, a sensory neural loss in one of his ears, which was really interesting to us because we were like, but this is supposed to be a bone issue. Um, and there are other organs involved, like his vision loss. He has an optic nerve hypoplasia. Mm -hmm. So that just means that nerve is short. So there are other organs involved, but that was kind of interesting to us. And his his hearing loss is he is mild to moderate in both ears. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting. The cochlea is housed in a bone, a temporal bone. So even though sensory neural is more about the nerve cells, definitely bones are, so, are involved. So yeah, that's... Yeah, it's been a while since go. we've gone over like the anatomy <laughs> of the ear with his audiologist and stuff. It's been a while. <laughs> so, so was he born term? Yeah, he was. And that was that right there has its own story. But briefly, um, he I had a lot of excess amniotic fluid when I was pregnant with him. And that was part of his issue where he wasn't swallowing the fluid like he should be, like most babies do. And so I had a lot of excess fluid. So I got really big. And he wasn't that big when he was born. He was six pounds, like my daughter. I have small babies. And we had a scheduled induction and it was at 38 weeks. And it was kind of this, like, will he make it that long? Like, will he be born quite early? Because your body thinks that you're further along because your, your uterus is so big because of all the extra water. And so that added a really big um, fear into that, but he was born term. And so he, he was born a healthy weight. He was, I think he was six pounds, eight ounces. And so that was really helpful. In hindsight, I don't think he would have survived if he'd been born uh, premature. So I'm now looking back, I'm really grateful that he made it that long. That's amazing. Oh my God. You just gave me chills. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you get close to losing them, it just really does make you like, wow, if this one thing had been different, we wouldn't have him here right now. And so it is really chilling to think about different, I don't know, there were a lot of moving parts to it and to think about them. Yeah going wrong. It's really scary. <laughs> totally. Um, so then you had, did he have the newborn hearing screening right away when he was yeah, born? Yeah. Because they knew it was on the table. We had no idea. I think they just they, didn't yeah. think to tell us or they forgot or something, but we were doing rounds. Um, well, he was in the NICU. That's just when the different, uh, like all of his, I mean, he had this huge team of like his dietitian and his main doctor and just all these different people that were in charge of NICU babies. And so they would go from child to child and kind of collaborate with each other and how they were doing. So they did, did that on a daily basis. And we tried to be there for rounds. So we were there and they kind of went through the different things. And then they were like, oh, and how did his newborn hearing screening go? And they're like, oh, he failed that. And then they kind of moved on. And I was like, wait, what did he just say? Like he failed it? And so like after they had left, I asked the nurse, I was like, did they say he failed the newborn screening for his hearing? And she was like, oh yeah, some, the audiologist will come talk to you about that. And I was like, Okay. We were already dealing with a lot. He has a lot of medical complexities. So we were already dealing with far more than we could handle. And so, um, it was almost comical to be like, nah, there's no way he also has a hearing loss. And, uh, later that day we were, uh, the audiologist that is in charge of NICU babies came in and she was like, we did an ABR right away. They jumped straight to that because they knew that he was higher risk for hearing loss. And at that point, he tested profoundly deaf in his left ear and uh, moderate to severe in his right. Um, later, they, they did a, an additional test. I think it was two weeks later to kind of retest that. And his left ear actually came up to the level of his right ear. So the beginning when we first, when we thought his, his left ear was completely deaf, we were talking about cochlear implants and mm. um, she explained, you know, she showed us like the little picture of the ear anatomy and all that and uh, it was really a sucky day. <laughs> I wrote that. I was looking through my NICU journal where I recorded stuff about when he was in the NICU. And that's what I wrote about that day. I was like, today he, we found out he is deaf and what a sucky day. <laughs> and it was, I, one way I can describe it is it was kind of like our son Kimball was like this house. And we knew a bomb had gone off inside and we knew that there were certain casualties. Like we knew like his neck, it was not stable. And we knew that he didn't have a nose bone, 
But then it felt like we were walking through the wreckage and finding these other casualties, like what his hearing, like we thought he'd have that, like that's gone too. And like these different parts of him that were broken. And later we found out about other, we had a lot of other diagnosis that we later learned about, like his vision loss. And it really was a grieving process of a part of him. It felt like it was gone. Like it had died or something like this, this life that we, we had envisioned of him just hearing typically, like we just expected that and to all of a sudden be thrown into that. Uh, I had my best friend growing up was really passionate about American sign language and she took four years of it and she was really good at it. So I, I was exposed to that earlier in my life. Mm. So that's where my mind immediately jumped. I was like, we're going to be doing sign language with him. And the idea of learning an entire language while we were already drowning with everything else, I think that is one thing that really added the magnitude of this, of this news that he had this, uh, that, that moment. I mean, that was one of the hardest moments while he was in the NICU and that is saying something cause we had a rough time, but yeah. I just cried and cried and cried as we drove home. And I was like, things cannot get harder, but it got better. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> it didn't end there. Yeah. How many day, how many days or do you measure it in weeks? <laughs> How long was he in the NICU? He was in there for 22 days. And it felt like a really long time, especially with having our older daughter and trying to balance that. But there were people in there like, we've been here for eight months and we don't know when we're going home. So that's chump change. I mean, like, I'm, I'm really grateful of the short amount of time we were in the NICU. That really was yeah. a blessing. And, and it's the kind of thing you don't really measure um, comparatively. Yeah, like it, each, each day, each moment in the NICU is its own like you say, its own world. Yeah. You don't know what's going to, what's going to bring. Oh, such a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah. You know, you mentioned that first rounds where you first heard about this, but it was kind of brushed yeah. aside because like it wasn't on their radar, this team that's doing their rounds. They have their, what they're supposed to do, each one from their own perspective of their specialty. So they're like, I'm here for kidneys. I'm right. here for GI. I'm here for like each one just kind of looks at the breathing, obviously the things that are life-sustaining mm-hmm. as high priority. And like, it's really unfortunate. And part of the reason we do the podcast is to get some education out there for everybody that this is not a trivial thing. Right. Like hearing loss is not um, in the back burner. Right. It's actually pretty important. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, I also recognize, you know, in the conversation of coronavirus, like, is audiology essential or non-essential? Like, is it emergent to be able to hear and communicate and, and like, be involved in your life? And if that's your communication method, you know? Mm-hmm. Or um, are other things taking precedence? And, like, it's really a case-by-case yeah. situation. Um, but I can, you know, I can kind of see the, the doctors being like, oh, this isn't relevant right now yeah. when he's, like, in the NICU. But for you guys, that's like, well, what is his life going to be like? Yes. It was so life altering. It was such a life altering thing. And so I do think that they, they could have been more Mm. uh, sensitive about it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad that you did have a meeting with the audiologist though, to be able to have some information and some answers, but that, that is definitely a, like you said, a sucky day. (laughs) <laughs> tough yeah. and difficult. Yeah. 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 And I yeah. think for our audiology students who are listening, you know, we, we have this, maybe a course, maybe one day or two lectures on handing over news, but like you can't learn that in a lecture. And so that's why this listening to people on the other side of the conversation to see what, what would have helped you? What did you need to hear? Yeah. And it's how individual that is. Also, like, you're not going to sound a checklist. It's right. like, what is the other person? You know, some parents are going to be asking questions. Mm-hmm. Some parents are not going to be taking anything in. Right. So what yeah. advice would you have for our listening students and audiologists? I think recognizing that that individuality of where each person is. I'm a part of a lot of different Facebook support groups for different hearing losses and Um, it's interesting to see where someone will post like, oh, I'm so devastated. I just added this group because I found out my child has this hearing loss. And then like, did anyone else feel this sad? And I was able to like, there were some people who were like, I was ecstatic because I have a hearing loss. And then to find out that my child has one was actually like super exciting for me because we could relate with that. So that makes sense. Like there are, there's such a range of feelings that can go with it. And I think for, I'm not going to make a blanket statement, but I think for probably a lot of hearing parents, it is a, a grieving process. And if, if you are listening to this and you are the one that delivers this news, I would treat it like you're telling someone 
that they have cancer or something like that. And maybe not quite that drastic, but it is this, this part of them that kind of feels dead. Like it feels like there's the part of him that you, you expected to be there and functioning and you took for granted. And then now that's gone. And so that really is really life altering news. And I think maybe just delivering it with that kind of sensitivity, um, and knowing that it probably will be something they grieve. I think that could be, that could go a long way with the way the news is delivered and explained. And I think, you know, I really value Madeline coming and telling that to everyone because we can talk to each other, you know, professionals <laughs> and like say like what we think is good, but it's really, it really comes down to what the patient in front of you wants and needs. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel like some people might actually hear what you say and then say, but, but it's not cancer. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't tell me that it's this big devastating thing when like maybe for them, it's actually good news or right. news that they're like, there's things we can do yeah, like, as opposed to something that there isn't. It's really individual. And another thing you mentioned about the groups is I think so important to find a supportive group of parents mm-hmm. because not only does that give you validation, it also brings in that other element of, Hey, other people are experiencing this differently than me. Yeah. And then you can learn from that, how other people are handling yeah, it, totally. which can be positive And it also can be difficult to see at other times. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta just yeah. <laughs> do a balance and see if it's helping you or if it's being detrimental. So. Right. I feel like I could talk about that negative Facebook experience right now. Do you want me to talk about it now? It's like about ASL totally. though. Go for okay. it. <laughs> so I can't not tell this story when you're talking about positive and negative aspects to those Facebook groups. Uh, and this is just my experience in this group of people. So I'm trying not to think like the whole deaf community is terrible. And I don't feel that way. Um, but I did um, about a year ago, we were, we stopped going full-blown ASL mode. We were, before that we had a deaf mentor. We were trying to sign as much as possible. And then we, I can go into the details of this later, but we had a lot of discussions with his hearing therapist that we were seeing very regularly. And we decided that we wanted to focus on auditory and spoken language with Kimball. And that felt really right to us. And I, I was really reflective about it. And I was like, man, on this, on this specific Facebook group and kind of in general, I feel like there's such an emphasis in American sign language, but not so much about auditory oral. And I was like, I feel like there's something I could, I could kind of impact this kind of culture of like, this is the only right way. And so I made this Facebook post and I had a picture of my son and me playing. So it felt very, it was very vulnerable. I really put myself out there. Uh, and I, I just explained in there my feelings about how we just need to support each other in our various journeys and what we feel like is the best route for our child as far as language acquisition and that every child needs communication. So I'm not saying don't teach them anything, but kind of like the, the fed is best campaign with breastfeeding or bottle feeding and, and all of that kind of thing where it's like, as long as they're learning, as long as they're being fed, that's, that's what's, what matters. And so kind of like bringing that over to language and what kind of communication you're giving your child, that as long as you are giving them communication and you really are doing the research and you're making an effort, that is what matters. And I was like, we need to support each other and make sure like, you know, to, to help each other or to really just give each other support in our various decisions, whether or not we agree with them or that's what we're doing. Okay. So that was my post. And then Mm -hmm. in response, I got this onslaught of the most personal attacks I have ever received. I, I was floored. Like I felt so bullied. There were these pairs, cause I kind of explained in my thing, I explained like my son has this issue, has this issue, has this issue, like all these birth defects. These are what we're dealing with. And, and I kind of use that as like the beginning of my post. And they were like, well, I, my child has issues too. And I'm teaching them ASL and you're depriving your child and you need to teach them right away. Or like this one mom ended with, well, your child is going to fail. Good luck playing catch up when you realize that they need sign language. And there were just these like comment after comment of these really mean personal attacks. And I felt so like, I felt so vulnerable and just hurt. I was so hurt. And I honestly had a lot of trauma from that experience which sounds dramatic, but because it was, they were such personal attacks telling me I was depriving my son that I was a bad mom. Like they literally were saying that 
that wasn't just, I'm not this sensitive little woodland creature. I'm really not. And, and having those attacks, especially at back then, because a year ago I was struggling a lot, but Kimball had a lot more going on. We've kind of leveled out now, like where we kind of have our groove, but we were really struggling. And to have those, those attacks from these other parents where I was like, but you know what I'm going through you know how this is and you're attacking me and we're this place I expected to get all of this support. And there were, there was some, there were some people who were brave enough to say like, that's great. You're right. I loved reading this. I needed to hear this, but there were those personal attacks. I went through my therapist to recover from. They were that damaging and it really helped me become even more passionate about what I wrote that we do need to support each other. Like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect, like you are proving my point. Look at all of these attacks about the route of language I'm choosing for my child. And I don't know you, you don't know me and you're attacking me in this way. And so anyway, I guess my point um, is that we do need to support each other and accept each other and recognize that every child is so different and every family is so different. And I'm learning to really follow Kimball's lead and what he needs and what helps him learn language. And I'm able to project in his future, what do I want for Kimball? And our therapist is so good. She's so good at helping us, his hearing specialist, at helping us uh, look forward and be like, what do I want for his life in 10 years? What do I want for his life in 20 years? Where do I see him? And in order, like when we look at it in that perspective, it really helps to make these kind of decisions um, based on what we want for Kimball and what we think is best for him and not every child out there. Wow. That does sound like a traumatic experience. <laughs> and I, I, have to, I have to validate that because that's actually something I bring up in my advocacy workshops. I give to groups. Mm-hmm. Trauma is not only big, giant, devastating things. Mm-hmm. Trauma is your body's response mm-hmm. to not being able to take in something. Like you cannot process the incoming event. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody is overwhelmed, like nervous system in their body by incoming information, that could be someone yelling at them. That could be someone cutting you off in traffic. Mm-hmm. Like it's more about your state and what's what you can hold, like your capacity to take things in versus what the actual thing is. Right. So usually really big giant things like car accidents, death, death in the family, losing your job, like those are usually traumatic because they're a lot to handle mm. for even someone with a high capacity. But you know, it doesn't mean that people have higher or lower capacities as a judgment, but more of a like how much your body can take yeah. and your psyche and your nervous system and your past uh. experiences and your childhood and all the things that make up your who you are, your personality, your resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, and trauma is not something to be ashamed of. It's actually something that shows you the places where you are vulnerable, like you said. Right. So you were coming already from a place of being so vulnerable. Yeah. And then this thing happened where people, perfect strangers, were attacking you mm-hmm. for your choices, specifically where you thought they would be. Pre- Supported. Yeah, expected totally support. Yeah, I expected I this totally like, rallying. That. I was like, this will be so great. Yeah. And it was the total opposite. Yeah. Yeah. And I and kudos to you. Kudos to you for having a therapist and processing <laughs> that trauma. Because otherwise, what happens with trauma is that it just keeps cycling yeah. coming back and coming back to that. You keep getting triggered back totally to those difficult things. Totally. And so you are amazing. Oh, thank <laughs> you. I moved through that. And now here you are talking about it and doing a podcast and supporting other people mm-hmm. with this exact message. So yeah. That is like the, the, I hate the people who are like, I'm grateful for my trauma. Like, no, I'm not grateful for it, but I beat <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah. letting them control me anywhere. I kept like that, that thread, like those comments kept coming back and coming back in different situations. Yeah. And it was great to be able to work through it. Cause we were working through other stuff and she was like, okay, are you good? And I was like, I feel like we need to work through that. I mean, this doesn't at face value, this doesn't seem like a big enough thing to have to work through, but it was traumatic. So I like what you said, like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a big thing. Like it was a really life altering thing for me just because it affected the way I felt about myself and it kept coming back in different ways. And one example of how it came back and came back is after that, do you know, I felt so much more turned off about American Sign Language. I wasn't negative about it before. I was like, I still felt like it was this beautiful language. And I, and I did still feel like that, that is a great option for a lot of people. Like I, I, it's the blanket statements that I have a hard time with. 
when, so I was so turned off. So I was like, I told his, his specialist, I was like, we're like, let's just drop the signing. We're not, cause we, at that point we were still at least doing isolated signs. So it wasn't the whole language, but it was kind of like baby signs, but we were doing a lot of, like we were doing, I don't know, milk and just a few because he had, he didn't have any words yet. And so I was like, let's just drop the signs altogether. I feel like because he knows how to sign milk, that's making it so he's not trying to say milk verbally. And so we dropped it. And I mean, he did not, he just was so confused after we dropped it because he still wasn't able to articulate it and say anything and verbalize anything. But then we took away the sign. So he had like no way of communicating and that felt really yucky. And then, um, I, and that's where all those thoughts come in. Cause then the yeah. people are like, you deprived your child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I felt so, I was so charged about ASL. Cause I kind of like categorized it with that. I was like, but we're not doing ASL because you know, I don't know. I felt more defensive. And then, mm. um, but then here's what you didn't do. You didn't just say, okay, now you, that's it. You're never going to be able to tell us that you want milk. Mm-hmm. Like we're dropping this and you have no other option, but I'm assuming mm-hmm. <laughs> given what you're going to, you've told me that you were keeping him in sound and you had his hearing aids on yes, as as possible. Yes. And you were creating an environment with tons of sounds and working on sound environment. And you had your speech therapist with you and yeah. you were doing appointments. Like you were then committed to some other yes. version. Right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> totally. And it was, we were doing all the right things for him to learn auditory language. Uh, it was really interesting though, because we were doing, we, were ha- we did the target vocabulary. We were doing all the different things that we were very proactive and he still wasn't picking up on any of it. And I think that went on. I think when I said, we're not, we're dropping ASL. Cause this was a little bit after that post. I mean, this is over the, the course of like nine months. So once we, we said no more ASL, that was like for a couple weeks, that was like a two or three week period. And then right. I went not like five years. Right, right, right. right. And <laughs> it, but like during that time, he just, I was like, this is not what we should have. Like, he's not, he's not, um, Okay. thriving with this. And so then I went to this event for Christmas. It was at the school for the deaf. And so there was a lot of signing and it was really interesting to me because I was like, Oh, I do love sign language. Like I, I kind of like revived that, like the good feelings towards it because I kind of became bitter because of that one Facebook experience. But I being there, I was like, oh, I do love this. I kind of felt this little fire reignited inside me. And I remember this little boy interacting with his mom and he was about Kimball's age and he, he didn't have anything else going on medically, but it was really cute because he would, he could do his little sign and then she'd be like, Oh, you want your water? Like he, he was able to communicate with these isolated signs he was doing. I remember watching him thinking, I want that. I want Kimball to be able to communicate. And if it's in sign language, that's great. Like I felt this truth just like, so it was so real to me. You need to be doing more signing with Kimball again. And I was like, okay. And so that was a little confusing because I felt like we already made this decision. I was like, but we'll do signs with him. And at that time, our main focus was still auditory oral, but I felt like we needed to introduce more signs to him. So to give him more ways to communicate, he really wanted to communicate. And we knew that through a lot of different ways, but he, I could tell he wanted some, th- some kind of tool to communicate because cognitively he is typical. And so he had a brain of an 18 month old, but wasn't able to to connect with us in, in a way of like language. And so I was super excited about that. It felt so right. And so I talked to his hearing specialist and I was like, Angie, we need to, I want to add in isolated signs. Like, so more like baby signs. We'll keep saying the word and going the auditory route, but using the signs as a supplement. And she was like, great, we'll, we'll do that. We'll switch that to that direction. And because I had already been learning uh, American sign language before when we we were initially going to use it as his primary language. I had a lot of vocabulary back from that. And so that was awesome because I could give him the signs for so many different things. And do you know what? The next month he caught up for his, his age. He is caught up completely with his peers that are typically hearing. And when we started using those signs, he was six months delayed. He rocketed in his vocabulary. I think in that month that we started using the signs with him regularly, he learned 50 words. And some of those were auditory and some of them were just signs, which then became auditory. And it was so interesting to me because I was like, that's what Kimball needed. He needed us to be, you know, using auditory oral, but throwing in those signs so he can see it visually 
And so he could have both of those inputs, the visualization of the sign and the, while we're speaking the word and he's doing fantastic with that. So we've kept that model even now. And as time's gone on and he will know the word really well, he'll drop the sign. And then when we're teaching him a new word, sometimes we'll use the sign, but sometimes he can just say it. And so that was a great experience of just following his lead and giving him something like, okay, he really likes this. And then our plan as of right now is just when he, when he has his auditory language down, we will offer him American Sign Language. And if he thinks that's great and awesome, we will all jump in head first and we will, we'll give him that. But right now our, our priority is the auditory oral. And it was great to just see that like these things can kind of work together and, and give him language. You know, I, I sometimes hear people say that sign language can be a crutch and you don't want them to rely on it. And I never understand that argument because if someone has a broken leg and they need a crutch, they should use the crutch. Like, yeah. why is, yeah, like this is not a bad thing mm. to need additional support for something. Yeah. Even if you're going with this one method, mm-hmm. like why not do, I think they, um, sign support is like what that's called. Oh, okay. It's not really that's a word for it. language, right? Right. It's not like the sentence structure right. and like all right. the things that come with the language, which you're, you're totally aware of, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. it's not either or. And that like the, the politics, the controversy, the drama, um, I think it stems from people's own insecurity about what's right. Because listen, nobody knows. Nobody knows if their child who is born hearing um, might also have language delays or any other thing that comes in and comes in with a specific language impairment. And maybe they need sign language, Mm -hmm. which has nothing to do with their hearing. So like, there's a lot of conversations happening that are not only hearing loss versus no hearing loss. Mm -hmm. Hearing loss is very varied. You got mild, moderate, right? All these different states. You got right ear, left ear. Maybe it's not both ears. Mm -hmm. And then you have the family context. Are there signers in the family? Mm -hmm. Or is this a hearing family with no concept of sign language who now need to learn a new language on top of everything else? Mm -hmm. Maybe that doesn't work. Resources. Do you have time and money and availability and accessibility to all of those things? which is true, that exact sentence is true, both for getting sign language instruction and for getting LSL, listening and spoken language. Like what's in your community? Are you in an urban environment where you have these choices? Mm -hmm. Is there a parent whose time and resources allows them to invest all this time and effort, Mm -hmm. whereas other people might not have that privilege? So like there's so many things going on, not to even mention the health of the child. Like you're saying (laughs) there could be other things and how many other children are in the family. I could go on and on. Basically, it's an individual decision. (laughs) That's a major, major message from this entire podcast. Listen to all our back episodes. You know, I had an episode with Kimberly Sanzo, who is a major sign language promoter and supporter Mm -hmm. to not have language deprivation. That is an amazing, incredible mission Mm -hmm. that I fully support. And like me and Kim are cool friends. I love her. And I also interviewed someone from AV. Auditory mm-hmm. Verbal, who brought Auditory Verbal to Israel. Like, it's a super cool story about her and her children. Elaine is the executive director of AV Israel here in Israel, where they're providing services for hundreds of families mm-hmm. for the listening and spoken language in the Jerusalem area. Huge, huge. Like, that is an incredible mission, too. Mm-hmm. Like, both of these two missions yes. could simultaneously exist and support yes. the families that need the support for those things. Totally. Like, give them so. language. That's what we want. Like, Give them communication. <laughs> yes. Whatever that looks like Language for you. Language over speech. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And the most important thing is to connect with your child, to also process your own story, mm-hmm. which is hugely what this podcast and my entire mission is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And why I have so many tools and resources yeah. <laughs> that I keep talking about. Like, you know, it's not because um, I think, you know, you should buy my journal. It's because I think you should journal. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm giving you journal prompts. And I think, I think that's, a, that's one thing that we had to process too, is that like, if he only had a hearing loss, that would be, that would be life altering. Like that right there, a hearing loss is Mm. such a big deal. You have to do so much intervention. It's not just give them hearing aids and they'll be fine. They're normal hearing now. Like there's so much work that goes into helping them uh, thrive with their hearing loss. And so I think that was a good thing to recognize. We need to prioritize here, like what we're going to work on and his hearing and speech development is definitely forefront of our minds because 
that's so important for a, a child and a person to be able to communicate what they want to communicate. Yes, exactly. There's a sign that I will never forget. I love my speech therapy colleagues so much. They teach me so much. And uh, when I was working in the school for the deaf, she had a big sign and it said, you know, a child does not only need to name things like dog, cat, hat, water, bathroom. What do we use speech for? We use speech for making jokes. We use speech for connecting. We use speech for singing, for celebrating. We also get angry and want to (laughs) get angry at someone else. Like these are all communicative intents that we have with speech. Yeah. And so speech is one way to do that. But if a child is using an AAC, a device, an iPad with pictures or Mm. any other communication method, the goal, the striving, um, of course, in tandem with their ability is that they should have all of the communicative intents available to them, not just naming things. Yes. Yeah. That's such a huge part of just being human. Like what a joy it is to be able to communicate with other people. So going back a little bit to hearing aids and that whole process, how was that for you? So Kimball was discharged from the NICU when he was 22 days old. And then when he was three months old, we went in for his surgery to have a G tube, which is like a feeding tube into his stomach placed. And on our way out, we picked up his hearing aids, which I really regret because we had such an overload from that surgery and learning how to care for the surgery site and how to use it and just all that. And then we went down to the audiologist in the same hospital. We're like, we'll save the drive. And we went down and picked up his hearing aids and we were told about how to check the batteries and how to keep them dry and trying to put them in his ear. It was a really overwhelming thing. I've learned a lot since then. I don't schedule appointments like that one after another, (laughs) but that's an amazing, amazing tip right there. Yes. Give yourself (laughs) a breather. It's okay to drive a little extra to be able to have more buffer to process things. But at first, because he had so many other devices, his feeding tube, like I mentioned, which is a huge, oh my gosh, what a pain that that right there. That was really hard to learn how to use that. And we had a lot of complications with that. And then he had this huge plastic collar we had to put on him every time we held him to protect his spine. And we just had so many therapies going on. We didn't put his hearing aids. I mean, I think he had his hearing aids in maybe a cumulative time of 10 minutes per day for the first like month or so. And I felt a lot of guilt about that. Uh, but I also felt like I was totally drowning. And so that was what I could handle right then. And then we, we were having our, our hearing specialist was coming. She kept on being like, okay, so like, are you guys putting those in more? And he wasn't awake very often. He slept a lot because of his medical stuff. So at the beginning, that was what we were meeting about. That was our main goal was to get Kimball's hearing aids in more often so he could be exposed to language. As time went on, I, I don't remember what it was. It was like this click, like after I think a couple months of him having them, like, this is really important for him to be able to hear. I think we, there's this hearing loss simulation on YouTube, like the Flintstone. With the Flintstones. Yeah, Yeah, I knew. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I heard that. And I was like, I am never going to leave Kimball without his hearing aids while he's awake. I knew he couldn't hear without them, but to hear that like muffled distant sound, I was like, that's terrible. I want him to hear me. So it really was just a process of like feeling really converted to the idea that he really needed those. And that, that was a number one priority. So now at this point, fast forward, you know, a couple years. And as soon as he wakes up, we pop those babies back in and we only take them out right before he goes to bed because I want him to catch everything. And I want him to have access to every sound that he wants. And he loves his hearing needs. He loves them like a toy. So he does pull them out and chew on them like all the time. So it's like the worst, mm-hmm. like pop off the ear mold and pop it in his mouth. I'm like, ah, like that's oh, no. kind of terrible. Oh no. But he does love, <laughs> Please be careful. oh my gosh, it's the worst. <laughs> and then he also, but he loves when they're in. So like, we'll put them in and we'll click them. So to turn them on. And he'll, his eyes light up and he's like, hi, hi, hi. Like, he's like, I can hear, you can hear me. And it's really cute. He, he really responds really well to it. And he loves being able to hear. Have you tried it using any headbands or clips or anything? So we have like the little, I don't even know what they're called, but it has like a, we got it from his audiologist where it has like the little slip knot that goes around the hearing aid. And then it, 
clips to his little shirt to keep them tethered together. But, and we use, um, the little hearing cap that works really well. So on days when he's pulling them out a lot, like if he's teething or something or just agitated, we will put the, the hat on him. And that usually keeps his little fingers out of his ears. We really love his hearing aids and the technology. It just opens up a whole world for us and for him. And he's so happy when he has those in and he can hear. It's really the best. <laughs> That's wonderful. How old is he now? So he is, said? he'll be two in May. And wow. Yeah, so it's been a journey. But it's all really fresh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're still in, we're still in the trenches yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and how has it been for his older sister? Uh, with him just overall having a lot of extra attention because of all of his different medical complexities. Uh, he has a lot of therapists coming in and out and we go to a lot of doctor's appointments and it's, it's rough therapists. like try to include her in some way, but I mean, the whole conversation is how's Kimball doing? What's Kimball doing? Oh, he's so cute. How can we help Kimball, 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 Kimball. And she's very, we're similar. Wendy and I <laughs> We're like, she's very, um, she likes to be like the center of attention. And I recognize that in her because she's similar to me. And I'm like, this is rough to be just kind of shoved to the side and, And so I think the biggest struggle really has been during appointments, like whether they're medical Mm -hmm. appointments or therapy appointments, she, as soon as the therapist comes in, she starts having a really hard time, not like hitting and acting out and trying to get attention. So that's been a a rough adjustment, but it's, it's also been a process where she has become so much more loving towards him where before she just kind of hated him. Like there really were no positive interchanges with them but now she's she's a lot more interested in him and loves him and she also as a side note when we were learning ASL she loved the little signing time videos and she picked up on it so well where it makes me um makes me happy to picture in the future like when Kimball has his spoken language down and stuff and maybe we could show him a few of the signing times because it's a, a fun way to expose them to sign language And it's fun to picture, like, maybe he'll love it too, like she did. But she really picked up on it. And there was even a point that she knew more signs than I did. And that was really fun to see um, her involvement in kind of his hearing loss world. Yeah. Kids have really an ability to acquire languages. Right. That's just that zero to three right there. Yeah. And then, like, zero to three is a critical period for language acquisition. Mm. And then you have till about eight or nine for it to be mother tongue level. Oh, okay. Some studies kind of move that to like puberty, like 11, 12. So like if someone learns a language at before that age, it could be like as a native language proficiency. And then anything after that, it's not as good as their first. Right. So yeah, kids are amazing. Yeah. But maybe you have to, maybe Wendy needs a podcast. <laughs> maybe Wendy does? Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. you just get that girl a podcast, right? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could totally picture her at like, also I'm mom and I'll do it too. Like that'd be, that'd yeah. be so happy just thinking of my daughter who's five and a half and she loves to talk into the mic and hear her her playback so maybe you try that you know she might be like what's up with this whole mic situation mom that would be really fun and even to like record her little thoughts about it would be so fun oh Um, yes one thing too i really want to add in talking about hearing aids and his level of hearing loss that was one thing we did take in consideration when we were deciding actually even just recently we had a deaf mentor again Uh, because we thought that would help us, you know, kind of get in that mode again of signing so we could give him those isolated signs. And then we are also in the talks of ending those services again. And one of the things that we, we talked about with his hearing specialist, I mentioned before of looking in like the long run, like, what do we want for Kimball? And one, one thing I, I've recognized is that like, I don't relate nearly as much with other parents who have a deaf child as I do with other parents that have a hard of hearing child with a, some kind of hearing device, because it just feels like a whole different thing like that. I mean, obviously there are, there are things that will overlap and that you can relate with, but I think having any level of hearing and then that versus not having any hearing at all, I feel like that really is a big deal. Um, and when, with having Kimball's, um, well, really our deaf mentor, because we were as parents, we were meeting with him and it was really cool to like, for him to tell us his story and how he was able to teach his friends sign language so that they could communicate with him and a lot of different things. And I'm like, that's so cool. Like he's just so easygoing and just really positive about all of this. And I would love for Kimball to be that way. 
And I was like, but I feel like his, his story will be different as far as what it seems like right now. He will have the capability of hearing other people and of talking to them. And so it, it really will be a unique situation from being completely deaf. And then I was like, so what would be the, we kind of went through this process. Like, do we want to teach Kimball full on ASL right now? And now that he's like really picking up on auditory and stuff. And I was like, I, I don't know. I wonder if he'll feel like I do. I wonder if he will relate with other kids that are hard of hearing and have some kind of hearing device more than kids that are completely deaf. So if he went to these social gatherings, who would he gravitate towards? Probably the kids with hearing devices, because then they could make jokes about like, oh, and then my mom said this and I popped out my hearing aid. Or like, you know, the the jokes would be totally different than like, if you're completely deaf, that would have its its own little set of jokes or culture inside things associated with that. And so that was, that was actually a part of our decision as of right now to focus on auditory oral, because that's where I kind of visualize or picture our son being and those more gravitating more towards the other kids that are in more of a similar situation with him rather than the blanket group of like any kind of hearing loss. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And that, that there's a spectrum Mm -hmm. even with this, with the identity of, you know, deaf, hard of hearing, um, hearing impaired, whereas some people are really against using the word impaired for Mm -hmm. having hearing loss. Mm -hmm. Is it, you know, deaf gain? There's all these different um, places where it really comes down to the individual when they're going to go through their identity formation as teenagers Mm -hmm. in every area of their identity life. Mm -hmm. This is also going to be part of it. And we can't predict that. We can try to guide them, but Mm -hmm. influence is like, let's not. (laughs) Listen, I, I put this out there all the time, disclaimer. I have, my oldest child is almost six, so I know nothing about teenagers, (laughs) but from, from having been a teenager and knowing teenagers, uh, there's only so much the parents can influence (laughs) when it comes to identity. So, you know, you're going to make the decisions that you believe in that are right to you. Mm -hmm. You do your research and then you make decisions. Right. You need help with that, like risk benefit analysis. You talk to people, you open up and learn other people's stories and not, just hear one thing from one professional or one loud person on Facebook, go and do your own research and look and meet other people and read lots of books and lots of stories Mm -hmm. to see what's going to work for your family. What, and like level of hearing loss is a big factor in exactly what you're saying. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Also educational placement is this big, big next decision after the first couple of years, Mm -hmm. then you're coming into like kindergarten. What do we do now? Are we Mm -hmm. going deaf school? Are we going for trying to mainstream something in between? And again, here, there's so many factors that are going to come into that decision. Mm -hmm. And every program you go to, that's the story. The story is you need to go to lots of programs Mm -hmm. (laughs) to to see how do you feel when you're in this building? How do you feel when you're among these children? How does this place feel? And then like, it's more about are you a good fit than what's right? Cause there is no one, right. right. That's why there's all these different options. Yeah. yeah. And there's just like making an informed guess. I mean, really that's what we're doing right now. I mean, they can't tell us yet. And so either it goes either way. Like we are just projecting like, well, seems like he'll do this and this and this. And he like with his personality, he might like this and this. And so we'll kind of go in this direction. And if he yeah. will follow his lead, that, I mean, that's what we're learning. Exactly. We're just following his lead. Yeah. And then be open to having to make a change. Yeah. Maybe in, you know, towards the end of the year, like April, well, not this year, but other years when <laughs> life is normal, <laughs> when life is normal, toward maybe April, May, you kind of say, are we going to keep him here next year? Mm-hmm. Or is there, is it time for a change? Is, if somebody is very dogmatic about wanting it one way, mm-hmm. then I think that's where they might come up with issues. Yes, totally. So be open-minded yes. and do your own research Yeah, and get support. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, totally. Oh, I wanted to talk really quick about what we love about his hearing loss. <laughs> um, oh, I love that. Because it is so stinking convenient to be able to be as loud as, I mean, like within reason, we can be pretty dang loud while he's sleeping and it, it doesn't matter. Like people will come over and they're like, oh, like if they have a child who's having a play date or something with my daughter and they'll be like, oh, be quiet. Kimball's sleeping. I'm like, ah, he's deaf. You don't need to worry about it. And they're always like, oh, cause it's so like bold to say that. Right. It's so blunt, but it is, it is so nice. And I can just sneak into his room whenever I want. And unless like, as long as the light isn't involved, cause he can see that. 
we're good. Like he can't hear me and it's really convenient. <laughs> or if like we want him to fall asleep on a road trip, we just pop them out and then we could be loud and he's, it's a lot easier for him to fall asleep. So I really, yeah. I picture having like future children and I'm like, well, what if like we'll have to be quiet when they're sleeping during naps, you know, like that. I've become very used to um, being able to be loud while he's sleeping and I really like that. <laughs> Okay. Number one, that is hysterical. <laughs> and number two, I think you bring up a very, very important point for families where um, humor is an excellent tool. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there's like this uh, gallows humor that people who are not in it are like, that's insensitive. You can't say things like that. <laughs> but I think if anything, it's really super important mm-hmm. to be okay with with also noticing the great parts and not feel bad about them because things can be hard and funny at the same time. Yeah. Things can be challenging and unfortunate or scary or unknown and also be hysterical. Totally. <laughs> so like that doesn't negate that it's difficult. It doesn't negate that it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, but you could find joy in those moments. So I think because yeah. like the experiences are so dynamic, like there are so many different moving parts. So then like, it's not just, this is so sad and terrible, or this is so happy and wonderful. They're, they're so complex. There's so many different emotions involved and how much better to be able to feel that gratitude within that mix, because it lightens it up a bit and it, otherwise it's super yeah. heavy, hard thing to handle. So humor has helped me a lot. Yeah. And it's funny because I often am doing this, you know, if something is hard, we say it's also okay for it to be light. Right. And when things are going great and some things are challenging and then you like feel guilty about having a hard time, it can be great and difficult. Yes. <laughs> I actually worked on that with my so. therapist because I had this other, it was actually not, it didn't have a whole lot to do with Kimball, but I was like, I feel so scared, but also excited, but I need to just get to, I need to get to the point where I'm just excited. And she was like, no, you don't. You can totally stay there. You can be scared and excited. And I was like, thank you for like giving me permission to have both those feelings. And I, it translates all throughout my life. Like I, it wasn't even, I don't know, it was probably like six months ago. She told me that, but like, now I'm like, I feel so much permission to feel what I feel and be okay with it. And that's been great. That's, that's a piece of advice too. <laughs> it's so life-changing because it changes every day of your life. And that is so worth it. You do therapies for your child and appointments for your child and you matter too. Yes. If that is not a great way to end, I don't know what is. Thank you, Madeline. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the All About Audiology podcast. You can find the links to the Rare Life podcast over at allaboutaudiology.com where we will also have a full transcript and links to follow Madeline. Yes. Instagram, Facebook. Yes. Yes. It's all of it. Okay. So we'll put that all in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I am looking forward to your responses, any questions you might have, and it might end up on our All About You episode, where every other episode is about your questions and your comments. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm Dr. Lila Saperstein, and this is the All About Audiology podcast.